0: Good morning, Grace family. How are we doing this morning? So good to be with you. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Alex Gilbert. I'm on staff here at Grace as the pastor of students. Real quick, make some noise if your uh, kids right now are in Grace Kids. Make some noise. Hallelujah. First, I just want to say it because praise God, right? I mean, they're being taken care of by some awesome people. We love Grace Kids here. But, hey, on behalf of Grace Kids, I want to make us aware of something real quick. Typically, uh, the numbers that you are given when you sign your kids in are given on two little screens on the side of the stage here. One is typically on your left, one on the right. The left side, as you can see, is not working. Okay? So if your kids are in Grace Kids uh, and they need to get a hold of you, they will get a hold of you on the right side right here. So just wanted to make you aware of that. Uh, once again, can we just give a hand for Grace Kids and how awesome they are and all they do for us? here. Yeah. Awesome to be with you this morning. I have the honor and privilege of continuing in our series, our Advent series called Hope Has a Name. And let's just dive right in. Isn't that amazing news? That hope has a name. It's not just a theory. It's not a lofty idea. It's not a pipe dream or the pie in the sky type thing. It is a real tangible person, and his name is Jesus. It's good, good news this morning. The idea from this series comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, if you'd be so kind to listen as I read these to you. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Hope has a name. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Wow. The increase of his rule and reign, his government, and his peace will have no end. With Jesus, things keep getting better and better and better. That's good news. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. I love this part right here. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God is a passionate God. He's a loving God. He's a good God, and he is the God of hope, and his name is Jesus Christ. This is the series that we are in for Advent, and maybe, like me, you kind of were like, I don't know what that word Advent means. I just associate it with Christmas, right? And so I want to kind of put some context and definition to Advent for us because one of the challenges in this Advent season is that we can focus a lot on other things and miss the main thing, right? And here's the thing, like, those things are awesome. I love Christmas trees. I love lights. I love the Grinch. Like, that's one of my favorite Christmas movies. Christmas movies. Frozen is my jam. It's not really a Christmas movie, but it kind of is, okay? And my favorite Christmas cookies. Hallelujah, love Christmas cookies. Clearly, this is a body that loves <laughs> Christmas cookies, okay? And those are awesome things, but it's not the main thing. The Advent season is really about this main thing. It's looking back at Jesus' first coming with great celebration while at the same time looking forward to his second coming with great anticipation. See, we're in the middle of the already, but not yet. We're in the middle of a season where we celebrate what Jesus has done by coming in the form of a baby. And yet at the same time, we are anticipating him coming again. Did you know he has risen? Did you know that he's alive? Did you know that he's ruling and reigning, seated on the throne, and he has promised us? That he will come back again that is the season we are in that's why we have hope this morning that's why we can rejoice and sing the songs that we're singing it doesn't necessarily matter what season of life we're in it doesn't matter what we're going through because we're in the middle of celebrating who god is and what he's done and anticipating what he will continue to do jeff did an awesome job last week at kicking off our series and he made this statement that i love and i want to bring us back to and will be bringing us back throughout this entire series, but it's that we all have dark days. We all have dark days, and maybe right now you're in the middle of your dark day, and it's not about comparing yourself to other people's dark days. Yours is lighter or darker. That's not the point. The point is we will all have them, and if you haven't yet, then maybe you're not breathing, okay, which then is kind of a problem, but the reality is we all have dark days, and if you feel like you haven't had any yet, they're probably coming. Jesus tells us that in this world, you will have pain and suffering. But thank God the verse doesn't end there. It says, take courage for I have overcome the world. See, we may have some dark days. Yes, that's good news. Let's celebrate that this morning. But the good news is that in the midst of our dark days, God meets us there. God is a God who is not scared of our darkness. He's not scared of our mess. He gets down into the thick of it and he meets us there. And last week, Jeff talked about that, that God is a wonderful counselor. And he's a wonderful counselor who encourages us when we are disappointed, comforts us when we are distressed, guides us when we are doubtful, and lifts us when we are depressed. That's awesome news that we have a wonderful counselor who does this. We looked at the story of Joseph and how Joseph was a guy who was going through a lot of these things, and, and yet he needed a wonderful counselor. And Jesus shows up in the form of this wonderful counselor, and he's able to guide him. But that's not just good news for for Joseph, that's good news for you and me. We have a wonderful counselor. His name is Jesus. This morning, we're gonna continue in the series by looking at the second name of God that we see in this Isaiah uh, chapter nine, verse six, and that is mighty God. So if you'd be so kind as to join me in prayer. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are hope. That in a world where hopelessness seems to be running rampant, you are clear, you are beautiful, you are vibrant hope for us to hold on to tangibly. God, I pray this morning that you would have your way in our time together, that we would see you as who you really are. That this is not just what you do, this isn't just how you operate, this is who you are at your core, that you are a mighty God. Let us be blown away by that God. Let us be in awe and wonder of you this morning. I pray that we would not leave the same as, the, as we came in. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us in such a way that it changes us, that it excites us, that it leads us to a place where we can go out and tell the world about how awesome you are. God, I ask, as I often do, that you would show up and show off, that you would flex your muscles for us to see, that you would get all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise, and all those people said. Amen. Church, when is the last time that you were put in awe and wonder of God? When is the last time you were put in awe and wonder of God? Maybe you're in this room and you're having a hard time thinking about all the times in which God's done that, and that's a good problem to have. Maybe you're in this room and you have no frame or context for what I'm talking about because you may not even know that God is real or believe in him, or you may feel like he's not present in your life. But I want to let you know that God is a worthy God of being in awe and wonder of. And as I was thinking on this question, I was thinking a lot about, okay, here's how God showed up in my life at 16. Here's how God showed up in my life in my early 20s. And I'm now 26. On my later half of my 20s, I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> sorry for offending half of the room, my bad. Uh, but I, I began to think of all the ways in which God had moved then, that God had put me in awe and wonder then. But the reality is God wants to put me and us in awe and wonder now. And this Question as I began to ponder on it this week, he kept giving me this phrase that time and time again, as I've been thinking on it and meditating on it and praying on it, it continues to put me in awe and wonder, and I pray and hope that it does the same for you right here and right now. It's the reality that this, God puts flesh on his promises in the person of his son. God puts flesh on all of his promises in the person of his son. That is incredible news this morning. God has given us tons of promise throughout his word. In fact, Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, there's a ton of promises there. There's tons of promises throughout the Old Testament. And then we see at the beauty of Jesus's birth is that we see God putting flesh on all of his promises in this tiny little baby boy named Jesus. The God of the universe submitted to becoming a child. Let that bake your noodle for a moment. Let that put you in awe and wonder. If you understand the full weight of that, let me know. I believe we'll spend all of eternity pondering that beautiful reality that God puts flesh on all of his promises in the person of Jesus Christ. Which leads us this morning to our takeaway. And that is when we see Jesus as mighty God, when we see him as mighty God, it will put us in awe and wonder. If you're taking notes... Feel free to jot this down. This is kind of the the case in point I want to bring for us this morning. That when we actually see God as or Jesus as mighty God, that's a good thing because it will lead to awe and wonder. And I believe that awe and wonder changes everything. I believe the beauty of this season is that when we become an awe and wonder of Jesus, it changes the world around us. Maybe not necessarily our circumstances, but it changes our hearts. It changes the world around us, and it can't stay the same. Jesus is on the move. And when he's on the move, things just don't stay the same. So we have a mighty God. And what is is significant about this idea of Jesus being mighty God? Well, it means that we can now have hope because Jesus is our hero. Jesus is our hero. He is the knight in shining armor. He's the guy that comes in, swoops down, and saves the day. Isn't it good news this morning to know that you have a hero, and his name is Jesus? And I love that. What mighty God really represents and shows to us is that God is, is willing and able. Do you hear that? God is willing and able. See, it's one thing for God to be willing, it's one thing for anybody to be willing, right? But it's another thing to be able or capable of doing it. Let me give you an example. Imagine you're moving out of your house into a new one and you have a bunch of stuff and you offer me free pizza, so I'm like, I'm there, I'll help you move. Hint, hint. Uh, so I, I said, Yes, yeah, we'll do this, let's go. And, and we're starting to move some boxes. And like I strained my back a little bit, and you know, I'm willing, but am I able to help you move that fridge? I'm here, <laughs> I'm a body, I'll lift it, but am I really able or capable of doing it? See, Jesus being mighty God means he's not just willing to step into your mess. He's not just willing to come here and be born into a, a manger. He's not just willing to become like us and to not just willing to die. He's not willing to just. Take on the weight of our sin and rise again. He's able to do that. We have a God who is willing and able. Let that infuse hope into your soul in this very moment. That God is a God who is not just willing, but he is both willing and able. So how does God put us in awe and wonder? How does he do that? That's what we're going to camp out the rest of our time this morning, is discovering together how God does that and why it's important for us to know. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And that is the passage of Scripture this morning we're going to camp out in. And this is a, an interesting story, and the, the, kind of the key characters that we're going to focus on this morning are the shepherds. So last week we talked about Joseph, this week we're talking about the shepherds. And, and the context for this, this story that we're going to dive right into, the verse before this, is the announcement that Jesus has been born. It's kind of a dividing line in history where all things are moving towards this point and then this point happens. And this is like the very next thing that happens as a result of Jesus being born. It's kind of a big deal, right? It's kind of significant. It's kind of important. We should probably lean in to this story together this morning. Verse 7 makes the announcement that he's been born. And verse 8 says this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with a great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. See, we have to understand and see Jesus is the mighty God who drives out fear. He's the mighty God who drives out our fear. There's incredibly amazing news this morning. Let's, let's dive into this story for a moment. There's these shepherds. See, shepherds were known for being kind of the unclean, plain, poor, last to be told anything outcasts of society. They were, they were guys who ceremonially were unclean. They were guys that from a proximity standpoint weren't not in the hustle and bustle of the city. They were on the outskirts. And so any good news often was traveled to them, and it was, they were some of the last recipients of it. Their job was pretty strenuous. Their job was tough. They had to protect a bunch of sheep who often acted like fools from, from wolves and other sort of robbers and sort of tough things. So they, they had a tough job on their hands. And here we are. There's these shepherds, the outcasts of society. And yet God chooses to reveal himself to these lowly, humble shepherds. They're the first ones to get the news that this Savior has come. Let that infuse you with hope this morning. Let that drive out the fear this morning that God can't show up in your life. God used a ragtag group of shepherds to bring this good news of great joy to all people. I promise you he can show up in your life. I promise you he wants to infuse you with this same kind of courage. I promise you he wants to show up and show off in ways that you can only imagine. And isn't it interesting that the good shepherd who is willing to lay down his life for his sheep and the lamb that would one day be slain decides to reveal himself to the, to the earth by talking to some shepherds and some sheep. God is an intentional God. God is a crazy, awesome, good, glorious God who reveals himself to these lowly shepherds. Let that put you in awe and wonder. Let that blow your mind this morning. So here we are, we have these shepherds. And then, these shepherds are just kind of doing their thing, right? There's probably a cool breeze of the night. They're they're watching, they're kind of in, in protection mode because nighttime was a time where they were kind of open to attack. And then all of a sudden, there steps up on the scene, an angel. Like, let that... Blow your mind for a moment. This doesn't happen. This isn't your average, ordinary story. I love the Bible. It's not boring. If anyone tells you the Bible's boring, they have not read it. I'm telling you, this is a crazy, crazy story, and this is just one of many. This angel shows up, and it says that great fear came over them because the glory of God had been made known. In other words, if they were wearing pants, they were probably soiled at this point. An angel shows up on the scene. It says they were feel, feared with, or filled with great fear. It's interesting, this idea of fear. If you look at the original translation, there's several words uh, that, that mean the word fear in English in the Greek. One of them is phobos. Phobos. Say it after me. Phobos. phobos. You're a scholar now. Boom. Phobos sounds familiar because it sounds like what? Phobia. Fear. It's this idea that you get this uneasy, anxious feeling about something that causes you to either fight or flight. That's what phobia is. This is the original feeling that these shepherds had in this moment Phobos. But the angel shows up and he tells them, I don't want you to have Phobos. I want you to have Megas. Say that after me Megas. Megas, Megas is a good fear. Megas is actually the, the word fear. The synonym of that word fear is awe and wonder. See, what God does is he takes the the worldly fear and he drives it out with his fear. He takes the phobos and he drives that out with the megas. See, the angel shows up on the scene and they're scared. They have this uneasy feeling that causes them this all sort of crazy weird feeling. And God says, fear not. He's not saying let fear be absent. He's saying let the wrong type of fear be absent. He's saying destroy fear. Phobos with Megas. Can I tell you that that's a a great solution for our lives too? That when God's presence shows up on the scene, it should scare you. It should leave you in awe and wonder though. And it should drive out the fear of the world. Here's a way that we can define the fear of the world. It's an acronym, fear. False evidence appearing real. If you're taking notes, I highly recommend you write that down. False evidence appearing real. A lot of your stress, a lot of your anxiety, a lot of the things we're feeling is a result of us seeing false evidence that appears real. In other words, believing lies that are just not true. In this moment, the shepherds, gosh, who knows what they were thinking. In our lives, sometimes we're buying into these fears as well. Let me ask you this question. What false evidence is in your life? What false evidence right here and right now, maybe in this very room, is appearing real to you right now? Maybe for you it is... I am what, I, what I've done, or I am what I've not done. Maybe it's, he can't come through this time. I know he came through with the shepherds. I know he comes through all throughout the Bible, but he can't come through in my life. I've gone too far. I've sinned too much. I've created too big of a gap. God can't be real. Are you kidding me? Look at the world. It's too broken. Look at my heart, it's too messed up. God can't be real. Okay, maybe he can be real, but he's not good. There's no way God's good. Look at how bad the world is. And man, if he's somehow real and he's somehow good, there's no way he can love me. I'm too far gone. Maybe it sounds like this. This misery can't have an end. This misery won't end. In fact, it's just going to continue to get worse and worse and worse. And God doesn't care about it. Maybe it looks like this. Blank is more immediately satisfying to me than God himself. And maybe that blank for you is money, sex, perfectionism, fame, success, school, image, social media, stuff, popularity, or maybe even your family. False evidence appearing real. But when we look at Jesus as the mighty God, he drives out fear. He drives out Phobos with megas, and it says, fear not. God's presence is what does this angel says, fear not. He's trying to give them a warning. This is something that happens often when angels show up on the scene in the Bible. It says that they are filled with a great fear, which is a a, a pretty appropriate response when you see this happen. But angels almost always say, do not fear or fear not, because they're wanting to drive out Phobos with Megas. God wants to do that here and now in our lives. And I love this about God. God doesn't just say, don't fear, and then keeps moving on. No, he lets the angel tell us why we should not fear. This morning, I want you to know, I want to give us some hope this morning. God says fear not, but he tells us why to fear not. He says this, I have good news of great joy for all people. Let's break that down, good news. That word good news simply means gospel. Gospel, for for those of us who've been raised in the church and we've heard that word gospel thrown around, it simply means good news. And the gospel is really good news, but can I inform you that it's only good news when you realize how badly you need it? To the world, in fact, it looks like the stench of death. But to those who are being saved, it is the aroma of life. Let Let me put it to you this way. $10 is good news to those who are broke. But to those who are rich, $10 isn't worth stopping and even thinking about. The gospel is only good good news to those who know how badly they need it. And can I let us in on a secret? We need it. We desperately, desperately need this good news. And it's good news of great joy. Did you know God is concerned with your joy? God shows up on the scene in this story, and one of the things he wants to let the shepherds know and inform us about is that he is about your joy. He's about your happiness. He's about your pleasure. He's about your fulfillment. He's about your satisfaction. The catch is it's not found in anything else but him. And when we find it in other things, it actually makes us more miserable. It is good news that brings great joy, and it's for all people. What? For all people? Really? This is an audacious claim, church, because at this point in history, this message was not for all people. This message was for a select group of chosen people that were actually pretty small. But the angel steps on the scene at this point in history at just the right time in just the right scenario and says, no, no, this is for all, for all people. This is why Jesus was so scandalous in his time is because he was claiming that now through him, anybody, no matter how broken or far off or how distant, can get back to the Father. This is good news of great joy for all people. And yes, that includes you. Yes, that includes you. The one who's sitting in their seat right now. I know there's one of you, there may be several who's thinking, no, 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 Alex, it can't be for me. I'm too far. I'm too broken. I'm too nasty. I don't even know if i buy into this mess. It's for you. Good news of great joy for all people. Can I tell you, that's a reason to fear not. When God's presence shows up on the scene, It drives out Phobos with Megas. How will you focus on the good news of great joy for all people this season? How will you do that this season? Will you actually make it a part of your Christmas tradition? Will you actually talk about it with your friends and family? Will you remind yourself daily of the awe and wonder of this reality that Jesus drives out fear? Will you tell others about it? Will you model it to those in your life? Because when you see Jesus as mighty God, it turns your fear into fascination. I'm gonna say that again. When you see Jesus as the mighty God, it turns your fear into fascination. So, for those of us in this room, which can, can I raise my hand? There's points where I feel like this all the time where I'm disappointed, I'm at despair, I'm distressed, I'm doubtful, I'm depressed. Right, can we just all agree that there is a point in time which we are going to be here if we're not here now? Can I tell you the antidote to that? The medication to that, the solution to that is to allow the fascination and the awe and wonder of God to drive out fear. Now hear me out. I'm not an expert in this. And many of you have gone through way heavier, way weightier things than I could even imagine. So I do want to make it clear that that fear is driven out by fascination but that's not an easy process. Jesus is the solution, but the beauty of Jesus being the solution is not that he's just a, a magical fairy who waves a wand and it's done. It means that in the thick of it he's going to walk with you through it. You're going to be bumped a little, you're going to be bruised a little. In fact, the Bible tells us that following him includes suffering. But we have hope. We have hope because he's not going to leave us there. If it's not good, it's because he's not done yet. If it doesn't look good, it's because he's not finished working on you yet. He's still chiseling. and He's making you into a beautiful masterpiece. The antidote to these things is fascination. I believe the shepherds had this fascination. They had this fascination with this good news for all people. And that led to something great. Verse 11, we'll pick back up, says this. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, check this out, this is nuts. And suddenly there was, with the angel, multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Do you you see what's happening here? An angel shows up on the scene. That's enough to, to put us in on wonder. And then a whole host of angels, like a party, a heavenly party. A heavenly rave is going on now here in this scenario. And I believe it's because they understood that Jesus is the mighty God who saves us. Jesus is the mighty God who saves us. See, the shepherds heard, okay, there's this good news of great joy for all people. Tell me what it is. Tell me what this good news is. Well, the angel says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, which is where the city of David was where they promised the Messiah would come. Born a savior. Not a politician. Not a prophet. Not your homeboy. Not a good dude. A savior. The angel wants to let us in on the reality that Jesus is our Savior. It's incredibly good news this morning. I want us to see that that is good news because we just talked about fear. And fear is a huge deal. And it's incredibly good news that Jesus being mighty God drives that fear out. But can I tell you this, that fear, although it is a big deal, is a byproduct of a bigger problem. Fear is a byproduct of a bigger problem. In other words, fear is just the result of something much cosmic, more cosmic, much bigger than just fear itself. It's a result of the fact that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. It's a result that we are broken, we've been cut off, that we are hopeless apart from this Savior. But the beautiful thing about Jesus being mighty God is that he is not just willing to save, he is able. And he's not just willing to save us from things, he's willing and able to save us to things. See, Jesus, we have to understand this. This is foundational for our faith, that Jesus doesn't just save us from stuff and leave us in the weeds to figure it out on our own. No, he saves us to something. He's a good God. He saves us from disappointment, distress, doubt, and depression due to sin, selfishness, and Satan. I know that was a lot, but I want you to see the weight of what he's saving us from. Did you know that he's saving us from sin? Sin, the very thing that that we threw in God's face and said, no, we're going to do it our way. God saves us from that. There's a lot of weight that comes with doing that. Death is one of those things. He cuts us off from Satan. He he saves us from Satan. He saves us from his schemes and from the weight and the power that he had over us. The scriptures tell us that at one point he was our father. And Jesus, being the mighty God who saves, cuts us off from that lineage and grafts us into a new one. That is incredibly good news. And not only that, he saves us from self. And can I just say something? I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'm so thankful God saves me from me because I'm jacked up. My wife's like, yes and amen, hallelujah, preach it, right? now, she loves me and I love her. But I'm messed up. I'm broken. I like to say it this way. I'm tore up from the floor up, okay? <laughs> Every ounce of my being has brokenness in it. And so Jesus being the mighty God who saves doesn't just save me from all the stuff out there. It saves me from the stuff in here, the stuff that I, I don't even want to tell you about, the stuff that keeps me awake at night, the stuff that paralyzes me at times. Jesus saves me from that. He saves me from sin, from Satan, and from self. Amen. Amen. man, that's awesome, but he saves me to something saves me to something he saves me to life to peace to joy to purpose to satisfaction to value and jesus saw value in you so he saves you which then gives you a new value it's beautiful he saves you to vision he saves you to belonging did you know when you come to christ and he saves you you now have purpose and belonging you feel at home in him And Jesus saves you to an incredible gift, and that incredible gift is himself. Jesus wants to give you good, good gifts because he's a good, good God. But the best thing he can give you is himself. If we miss that, we will miss what he saved us to. Have you embraced the salvation of the mighty God? Have you embraced that salvation? Maybe you're in this room and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Can I encourage you, today's the day. Let him drive out the fear and open your eyes to your need, your desperate need for salvation. He's not just the Savior, but he's Christ the Lord. See, Christ means Messiah, the one that they had been awaiting for so long, the anointed one from God. And it also says that he is Lord. And that word, Lord, is weighty. That word is reserved for God alone. And that word carries weight and authority and basically says it's my way or the highway. And his way is the best way it's this word that tells us that god is powerful and authoritative and that name is given to jesus savior christ the lord and then it says that at this point when the angel makes this proclamation the angels are so curious they themselves are so in awe and wonder that they have to hop up on the scene so the angels are far too enamored with what's going on to sit on the sidelines they hop down into the scene and say what is this all about I want some of this. Let me celebrate glory to God in the highest and peace to all, right? That's what happens here. Can you imagine, right? If the shepherds had pants at this point, if they weren't soiled, they were soiled now, okay? This is incredible. This is amazing. This is beautiful. The angels are in awe and wonder of how God is interacting with his people. Did you know the angels long to have what we have? Did you know the angels are curious about this thing called grace. This thing called salvation prompts the angels to a point where they have to engage. They are blown away that God would bring salvation to his people. What do you need to surrender to Jesus today to embrace him as savior and Lord? I wanna make a clarification. If he is your savior, he has to be your Lord. He cannot be one He has to be both. What do you need to surrender to him today? To embrace him as Savior and therefore embrace him as the Lord of your life. Can I tell you, it's your life itself. It's your fears. All the false evidence that appears real in your life, surrender that to him. It's your past. All the mistakes that you made that you wish you could take back, it's surrendering that. It's actually surrendering your future to all the things that are unknown, even the things that are paralyzing you because you don't know them. And it's the present. It's the right here and the right now. When you begin to embrace Jesus as the mighty God, he saves us. He allows us to get to a place where we can then surrender to him as Savior and Lord. And I love this beautiful progression. Because you see, when God shows up on the scene, it can cause this awe in wonder that drives out fear. It causes the megas to drive out the Phobos. And then as a result, we can see more clearly our desperate need for him and then embrace him as our beautiful Savior and Lord. But it doesn't stop there. It keeps going. Because that's enough. But man, there's more. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord had made known to us. Wow. Do you see the beauty of what's happening here? I want to read to you a quote from Warren Wearsby that will hopefully put us in awe and wonder of what's happening in the scene. The whole purpose of the plan of salvation is glory to God. God's glory has dwelt in the tabernacle and in the temple, but had departed because of the nation's sin. Now God's glory was returning to earth In the person of his son, that lowly manger was a holy of holies because Jesus was there. Let me fill you in on the weight of this scenario. There had been 400 years of silence because of the sin and the weight of the actions of Israel. And God's presence had left the temple, left the tabernacle, And here, in this scenario, at the right place, at the right time, in Bethlehem, in this lowly manger, God decides to reveal his glory by having a baby born into this manger. And I love that it says that that manger became a place, a holy of holies, because not that it had the right type of wood, not that it smelled good, because it definitely didn't, not because it had the right type of blankets or the right type of straw laid in the right pattern, but because of who was in the manger. And when... The shepherds began to understand the weight of this it led them to action. See, when we see Jesus is the mighty God, it leads us in obedience. The shepherds were just minding their business. The angel shows up. He proclaims this great good news of great joy for all people. Then this holy praise party starts to happen where all these angels show up and just start singing and dancing. And then they peace out. That's pretty wild, right? They, they, they say, you know, they go back to heaven and now these shepherds are left in awe and wonder could you imagine seeing that and not be at least a little freaked out but they were more than just freaked out they were put in awe and wonder could you imagine how long they must have sat in silence maybe it was only a few minutes but it probably felt like eternity in the best way possible and then one of them finally had enough courage to speak up and said hey we got to go like, we got we to gotta have somebody take care of our sheep because if we take them with us, it's going to slow us down. But we got to go. <laughs> we got to go check out what is going on that these angels are proclaiming about. But I want you to notice that how, of how they went. It said they went with haste. What does that word haste mean? It means quickly and eagerly. See, when Jesus reveals himself as mighty God, it should lead to quick and eager obedience. How are we doing? How are we doing at quick and eager obedience? Can we learn a lesson from the shepherd this morning? That when God drives out fear and brings salvation, it leads to quick and eager obedience. It's not a manipulated thing that we have to muster up. It's just an overflow of the glory of God that we are seeing and responding to. Our kids understand this. I have two beautiful girls. Hadley, who's two and a half going on 16. And we have Kingsley, who's Eight months. And I, I Hadley, I, I say, you know, jokingly, two and a half going on 16, but because she talks to us like she's 16 sometimes, right? She's like this little person walking around. And I'm like, hey, uh, hey, Hadley, can you pick up your stuff? No. Oh, okay. It's about to be okay. Uh, she goes, daddy, go up the steps. It's like, no, you go up the steps. No, you go up the steps. No, you go up the steps. So we'll have, i have an argument with a two and a half year old. It's great. Um, finally, someone on my level I can argue with. Um, <laughs> But so sometimes this happen, you know this scenario kind of play out in our house, right? Hadley, you need to pick up your toys. No. Hadley, if you pick up your toys, you can watch Trolls. Trolls? Which, by the way, pray for me, Netflix just took Trolls off. <laughs> Find the guy who started Netflix, I'm going to punch him in the face. Literally, we were counting down, they, they gave us a notification, I, you know, Channing texted me, I was like, uh-oh we got to start praying now. The day came. She woke up. The first thing she said, trolls. I was like, you would. You would. Today of all days say trolls. <laughs> you see what happened, though. I told her, hey, if you, if you want to watch trolls, you have to clean up. And so she got in awe and wonder of trolls, and then she began to do what I said. Shannon does this to me sometimes, too. Hey, babe, can you pick up your clothes? No. If you pick up clothes, I'll bake you a cake. Okay. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding or am I? (laughs) You have to ask her. But you get my point. I know it's silly. I know it's goofy. But see, what happened with Hadley is that she got in awe and wonder of a silly, silly movie, but it led her into quick and easy obedience, right? And in fact, sometimes she'll even sing, clean up, clean up, everybody do your shale. That's how she says shale. It's so cute. But do we have that type of joy in our quick and eager obedience? Are we in awe and wonder of something much bigger than trolls, so much bigger than a cake, but Jesus himself that leads to quick and eager obedience. See, and this is what they ended up doing. They just made known what had happened to them. Some of us have this fear that, well, man, if I go and I'm obedient, I don't really know what to do. Or the reality is we think that we can't be obedient until fear is gone. And can I just tell you, fear is not going to remove itself this side of heaven. There's still some weight and fear, Phobos, that we will deal with that we're praying and hoping that God continues to drive out, but it's still going to be present. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, don't wait to be obedient until you're not not afraid, because that's never going to happen. But I know some of us maybe struggle with the fear of, like, God, God or Alex, I don't know how I'm going to be obedient here. I know you want me to tell somebody about Jesus, but I don't know what I would say. And can I just tell you, the angels didn't have to, or I'm sorry, the shepherds didn't really have to think much about that they just told what they saw. They just, they just proclaimed simply what had happened to them. Can you just do that? Can you just proclaim, hey, I was once dead, I'm now alive. I was once like a fool and now I love Jesus and I'm still kind of a fool, but in the right type of way. <laughs> Jesus tells me he loves me, this I know, and, and this is all I know, and that's enough. Well, you just proclaim the good news of what's happened in your life? But it says that all who heard it were in awe and they began to wonder. Did you know your obedience leads to wonder and awe in those around you? So that's why it's important to be obedient. It's not just so you feel better about yourself, it's so that other people's lives can be changed as a result of God using your obedience. It says that those around who heard the shepherds just telling the truth were in awe and wonder. And then it says that Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherd's obedience led to Mary's treasure. What treasures does God want to give to those around you by using your obedience? If you want to give a good gift this Christmas season, and right now you're struggling of what to get your spouse like I am, can I just encourage you, be obedient to God. It will provide treasures in the hearts of those around you in ways that you won't even know. The shepherds were just obedient, and they gave away treasures to Mary. How can you do this? Show love to those in need. There are plenty of people in this season who are in need. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a shoulder to cry on. Maybe it's somebody to go with him to the Blue Christmas service. Maybe it's finding somebody in your house, church, who just, you want to show a random act of kindness and love to. Maybe it's someone you can share the good news of the gospel with, because that's the greatest gift you could ever give. And can I tell you that when you give, when you start to be obedient, it's contagious, it starts to actually then multiply itself out into the world around you. And what I love about what the shepherds are doing in this moment is they're actually taking the place of the angels. They're actually taking the place of the angels. Let me tell you what I mean. The angels at this point had left the scene. They had gone back, but their job while they were there was to proclaim the glory of God, to make known the beautiful good news of great joy for all people. And it says that they went back. And then it says that the shepherds, as they returned, they were glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. They were taking the place of the angels. See, the shepherds understood that the angels had gone, and now it was their job to bring glory to God and to brace Him with their lives. The same is true for us. We have the same job. We are called to represent God and to give Him glory in all that we do, to have quick and eager obedience. When we see Jesus as mighty God, we can bring him glory through obedience. That is incredibly good news. And I want us to see this morning that, that we really can't do this in and of ourselves. That it's not something we can muster up. It's not something that if we just tighten our bootstraps and, and work a little harder, it'll happen. But we have to keep our eyes on the mighty God who keeps us in awe and wonder. Our responsibility is to keep our eyes on him. And trust that he's going to take care of the rest. That he is faithful to keep reminding us over and over and over again of how awesome and good he is. That is the goal of this Christmas season. Maybe it's just remembering simply this. God puts flesh on all of his promises in the person of his son, Jesus. And they found him, that baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The Bible tells us that our faith is a mystery. It tells us that, that this idea that, that God would become a man is an absolute mystery. And sometimes it's hard to understand that mystery and hard to kind of wrap words around it. But I want to read 1 Timothy 3:16 for us this morning. It says, without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. I don't know about you, but when I read a line like that, I want to lean in and engage a little bit more. Without question. This is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body. God became a man. He became a baby. He submitted himself to becoming like one of us. He grew up as a child, became a teenager, He began to teach. He began to live a life that we can only imagine. He began to perform miracles, teach truth. He walked on water. He fed thousands of people with two fish and five loaves of bread. He told the wind and waves, hey, shut your mouth. He actually cast out demons. He raised the dead to life. And he proclaimed all these crazy, bold truths, one of them being that he is the way, the truth. In the life. What an audacious claim. In fact, many people didn't like it. So much so that they they took him, they falsely accused him, they beat him, they scolded him, they embarrassed him, they shamed him, they spat upon him, and they crucified him. And on the weight of his shoulders was all that sin, all that fear, all that brokenness that sat upon us. He took it. The Bible tells us that he who knew no sin became sin. And I want to let you in on this. Jesus wasn't a victim, he was a volunteer. That's the good news of Jesus being a mighty God. He wasn't just someone who was caught by surprise, he wasn't a victim to this. He was a volunteer. He said, Sign me up. I will go, I will die, I will do what needs to be done because I love these people. And he was buried in the grave. When all hope seemed to be lost, like maybe some of the hope we're feeling now, just at the right time, he rose again. Yes, good news. Signifying that that fear has no place anymore. Sin has no place anymore. The weight of our mess and ourselves has no place anymore. And Satan can get kicked to the curb and stay in the grave where Jesus just walked out of. Did you realize Satan's best attempt wasn't good enough? you realize he is alive here and now and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of his father right here right now interceding on our behalf hope has a name and his name is Jesus without question this is the great mystery of our faith Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the spirit he was seen by angels and announced to the nations He was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven in glory. Will you gaze upon the mystery this morning? Will you gaze upon the mystery this season? Will you gaze upon this mystery for all of eternity? We're gonna have a moment here and now. In fact, we've carved out some time in this service to lean in to what Jesus is doing. To lean into this on wonder. So, we're gonna transition into a time, it's not a time to leave, it's a time to lean in. We're gonna sing a few songs. We're gonna respond to God because He's driven out our fear. He's saved us and He's leading us now into obedience. So, I wanna encourage you in this time don't allow the, the people around you to distract you. Don't allow the baggage you walked in here with to keep you from coming to the front. We're gonna have a time where we just sing some praise and worship to God. We declare his mighty name. We declare his mighty power. And I wanna challenge you in love to come up to the front, to come in and sing and us as a body together, embrace the beautiful wonder and awe that is Jesus as mighty God. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna move into that time. Pray with me, church. Jesus, you are faithful. You are a good God. You're a God who's worthy of praise. So in this time, we just wanna naturally overflow with response. We wanna just love you back because you've loved us so much. We wanna declare to you that fear has no place in our hearts, that you are a good God who saves and redeems and calls us your own. You're a God who's continually leading us to be more and more obedient so that we can continue to bring people in, build them up and send them out by your grace for your glory. Jesus, right now, let us participate with the angels in singing, glory to God in the highest. We love you, Jesus. And all His people said, amen. Feel free to stand, come front, and let's sing to Jesus together.